Our gospel reading uh, comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Just got to make sure I got the right ones up there. I've had some issues lately. Mark 7, 24 uh, through 30. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for all that you have made. We thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we ask that as we hear your word read and proclaimed today, that you would help us to come to know you better, that we would know better who we are in relationship with you, and God, that you would continue to grow us in our relationship with you through Jesus, or that we would reflect you in everything we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 7, starting in verse 24, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. And then turning to Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 23 and going on through 4-7, we have been reading straight through the book of Galatians, and those of you who have been paying extra close attention may have noticed last week that we skipped a section. That was not on purpose. I just got off one line when making (laughs) the bulletin and the slides, and anyway, um, on our schedule. And so we're going to go back this week and pick up that one. So we're reading it out of order, but we'll get it all in there. So this is Galatians chapter 3 starting in verse 23 and going on through 4-7. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there are uh, certain times, I think, every year where it seems somewhat natural to do kind of a look back over uh, a period of your life or maybe your whole life, uh, as well as looking forward. And here are a couple of those times that I think are sort of natural for that to occur. One is kind of New Year's, you know. You end up one year, you're starting a new year, and it's sort of this natural break in the calendar where you look back over the last year, you look forward to the things coming in the next year. Another is uh, this season of of the school year, where the school year is coming to an end. And whether you have kids in school or not, there's so much of life that is sort of, that operates around the school schedule and calendar that there is sort of this rhythm to that, that as the school year draws to an end, it's sort of that same thing, okay, looking back over everything and looking forward. And then another, of course, is, uh, is birthdays. That's one where you have a birthday and you start reflecting over the things of the past and uh, looking forward into the things of the future. And uh, with my birthday always coming at graduation time, I get the double whammy every year. But... <laughs> uh, and today, we're actually looking at Jacob, who's in another season like that. This is not one where it is um, the end of a year or the end of the school year or just a birthday. But this is the end of his life. He has reached a very old age. He is 147 years old. Yeah. And, um, and it says that the time drew near for him to die. And so it's... It's at that time that he is looking back, reflecting over the whole of his life, as well as looking forward to uh, future generations and what happens with them even after he dies. And so this is uh, picking up the story in Genesis chapter 47, starting in verse 28. I messed that up. Uh, <laughs> We've got it starting at 29 there, so you'll just have to listen to me for the first part. Anyway, um, we'll start in verse 28 and go on through 48:22, And uh, this is when Jacob, also known as Israel, you'll hear both names, same person, when he has been brought down into Egypt uh, during that time of famine that the whole land was experiencing, and his son, Joseph, who had been sold into slavery years before by his brothers, who had risen to power, had then interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, which got him out of prison and second in command and overseeing the whole um, food distribution project. That's when uh, he moves his whole family, Jacob included, down to Egypt. And this is now skipping forward. The famine was, the years of plenty were supposed to be uh, seven years, and then the years of plenty, or the years of famine, seven years. Well, it's been a lot of years since then, because when we start out, it says that uh, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. That's where we pick up the story. We've got a gap of time between what we looked at last time and now. So here's beginning in 4728. There it is. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. 
and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. And the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Padan to show my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of his old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword 
and my bow. But what do you think? As Jacob looks back on his life, as he looks forward, and we're really only partway through his uh, looking forward. Next week, we get to look at him blessing um, the rest of his sons. But did you notice the looking back? Did you notice the looking forward? As Jacob looks back over his life, there's a lot of it that we have recorded for us in Scripture, a lot that we know about Jacob's younger days. We can remember how he, even in the womb, was grabbing his twin brother's heel. We remember that he is the one who, uh, as a young man, bought his brother's uh, birthright for a bowl of stew, taking advantage of his brother's hunger and short-sightedness. We know that later, uh, when his own father was getting old and ready to give a blessing, he disguised himself as his brother and went in to steal the blessing that was uh, supposed to go to his brother from his father. We see him making a mess of his whole of all of his family relationships to the point that he has to run away so his brother doesn't murder him. We see him um, meet up with his uncle, who tricks him into marrying a daughter that he wasn't. Uh, intending to marry. We see him later trying to uh, get lots of property from his uncle by doing weird things with branches as he takes the strips of the branches and stripes them and everything so he can make sure that he gets uh, all the flocks, all the good ones, and all his uncle gets are all the bad ones. We see finally when he <clears throat> is coming home to his brother again after many, many years. We see him trying to scheme and to pacify his brother with lots of gifts before he gets there so maybe he won't get killed. And we see him as a father playing favorites with his kids to the point that it drives such a wedge between them that they want to murder their brother. What a legacy. As you reflect back on the things that Scripture tells us about Jacob, that's pretty much what we're told. But that's not all we're told. And what's amazing is when Jacob looks back over his life, what is the part of that that he brings out? Does he say, I did it my way? <laughs> Look at how well things have gone for me because I figured it all out and I schemed and I got it. No. What does he go back to? He goes back to um, verses 3 and 4 in chapter 48. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me. 
and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Do you hear this? Jacob is looking now at where he is, how things are going with his family, etc., etc. And he says, there are some things that are going really well. Look at this huge family that I have now, which, boy, there was a time that didn't look like that was going to be possible. And now, here we are. I mean, 70 people in his family came down to Egypt. And that was 17 years earlier. Who knows how many there are now? And yet Jacob says, this is because God met me on the road. This is when Jacob was on the way, running from his brother to his uncle's house. That God met him on the way and said, I'm going to bless you. And we go, well, this is weird, isn't it? Why would he do that? Is he doing this because Jacob had schemed to get his father's blessing? No. In fact, what Jacob seems to realize uh, is that everything that God is doing for him is pretty much in spite of what Jacob is doing, not because of it. We see the same kind of thing uh, when we look at what happens when he's on his way back to meet his brother. After all that time away, he comes back to meet his brother and he sends everything in all these groups to his brother Esau. Maybe this will pacify him, make him not want to kill me when I finally do show myself to him. And then it talks about him being left there alone on one side of the river. Everything else has already been sent across. And then some mysterious figure comes and wrestles with him till daybreak. What in the world? And then he realizes, and he names the place, uh, recognizing that he has seen the face of God that this has been his struggle his whole life. He continues to scheme. He continues to try to do things. And yet God is the one who has, uh, well, as he says here, who has been his shepherd. This is when he's blessing uh, Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, in verses 15 and 16. He describes... uh, how things have gone from him, not only by talking about the blessing of God initially, but then may the God who before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully. He doesn't say the God before whom I have walked faithfully. Notice that. <laughs> but the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. When Jacob looks back over his life, what he sees is the faithful guiding hand of God, the faithful presence of God who is there with him through everything and who has blessed him not because he deserves it, but because God chooses to bless him. Now, that's looking backwards. 
into the past, as he looks forward into the future, what do we see Jacob then doing? Blessing others, right? He realizes that he is somebody who has received the blessing of God, and now he is going to pass that on as he is going to seek to bless others. And he does this with Joseph's sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, which we always say in that order, and we say it in that order because of what happens right here. Manasseh is the older. Normally, you'd say Manasseh and Ephraim, except you notice that part where uh, Joseph brings the boys right there in front of him, and he puts uh, Manasseh over here on Jacob's right side, and he puts Ephraim over here on the left side. And so that way, you know, the one who's on the right side, that is like, you're my right-hand man. Like, we still have that kind of expression. Um, But that's going to be the one who is in the position of honor. And Jacob, it's a a very similar, like going back all the way to Jacob when he goes to uh, steal his brother's blessing because his father Isaac was old and had a hard time seeing. And it sets this up the same way. Now Jacob is in that position. He's old and has a hard time seeing. It's like, who are these boys? What is going on here? As uh, Joseph brings him in, he puts him in the right place. Okay, here, here we go. I got it all set. I got it fixed for you. And then Jacob goes, <laughs> crosses his arms to put the right hand on the younger and the left hand on the older. And then you notice Joseph is like, okay, confused old man. No, no, no. <laughs> this is not how it works. This one is the old. That's why I put him there, dad. Come on. You got this. And in <laughs> Jacob, it's like, oh, silly youngster. <laughs> I know. I'm doing this on purpose. And then you go, what possible purpose could there be in this? Until you remember some of the patterns from before. You go all the way back. I mean, Jacob was the younger brother. Esau was the older. Jacob gets the blessing as the younger one. You go back uh, even further, there's Isaac, and there's Ishmael. Uh, Abraham actually had Ishmael first, but Isaac is the one through whom the blessing comes. Even with, uh, with Joseph and his brothers now, Joseph is not the oldest. Reuben is the oldest, but Joseph gets this blessing even through his sons. And so it seems like the younger is always put over the older somehow. And this goes all the way back even to the kids of Adam and Eve. You look at Cain and Abel. Cain is the older. Abel is the younger. For some reason, uh, God seems pleased with Abel's sacrifice and Cain gets all upset and jealous about it to the point of death. But this seems like there's this pattern going on, and we go, what? why? Why is that a pattern? And I think this is where it comes down to um, the difference between uh, kind of rights and grace. That in the culture of the day, the one who was the older by right, got twice as much as the, their siblings. But that's not what goes on here. Instead, the younger one, who can claim nothing by right, 
gets more by grace. This is what's happening uh, in this blessing. This is what's happening double at the same time as uh, Jacob is giving this blessing to Joseph over his brother Reuben and to Ephraim over his brother Manasseh. It's happening double at the same time. And of course, what, uh, what his blessing is depending on is still the promises of God. When you look at the things that he's saying, it's a continuation of the promise that God has made for him to be um, in his name, that family name, that family line, that family that is going to become a nation, that is also going to be a blessing to the whole world, and it's also going to be in the land that he's not even in right then. You notice he's got several references to the land that God had promised when he says, you know, when I die, don't bury me here in Egypt. Bury me back up there. Back where my fathers are buried. Where are they buried? In the land that God promised to him. And then when he is uh, talking about the, uh, his sons, oh yeah, they're going to get land. And actually to your family, I'm going to give an extra, I'm going to give you one more ridge of land than to your brothers. Here's that extra portion, that double portion that goes to the oldest, but not to the oldest here, to the youngest, or not the youngest, but the younger one. This is um, this looking forward to the inheritance that is not really Jacob's to give. It's God's to give. And he had chosen this family, and that is what Jacob is talking about. Now, this is uh, something we see again. We see Joseph... Uh, before he dies, also saying, take my bones up to, the, to Canaan, to the promised land. But it's something we see again. When we get to the New Testament, and we have Jesus, not at age 147, but around 33. And we see him the night before he dies. And we see him looking back, and we see him looking forward. And as he's with his disciples, and what is he doing with them? These 12 disciples that he has chosen specifically in reference to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he's blessing them. And he's praying for them. And we see as we continue on through the New Testament, even what we're reading in Galatians today, there's this inheritance that comes to us as a part of being in the family of God through Jesus. Is that because we deserve it? No. But once again, it is, um, it is by grace, given, not earned. The reason we sang 
the song we opened with this morning, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. I hope you're able to follow along on those, uh, those lyrics. Because the whole way that this song goes, to me, is as you follow along Jacob's whole life. It's the same kind of thing. As though what Jacob is wanting is all this good stuff that would come, you know, with a relationship with God. So I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and, and every grace. Yes, that's what I want. I want to be somebody like that. And then as you go through the song, it's similar to what Jacob experiences throughout his life, which is the way that he gets there is not in the straight line that you'd expect. This is the same thing we've talked about when we look at Joseph and how he ends up in a uh, position of leadership in Egypt. And it's not because he goes from the dreams of greatness as a youth to now positions of greatness as an adult. But instead, he goes through some really hard roads first. And the same kind of thing as we look at Jacob's life and the ways in which all of his scheming has to be countered <laughs> by God's grace. And then we get to the last, um, the last two verses. This, uh, yeah. You crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart, laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free, to break thy schemes of earthly joy, that thou mayst find thine all in me. This uh, passage we look at, we've been saying this whole time that we're looking at the end of Genesis, that it's about uh, Joseph, but it's also about uh, Judah. We'll get more into that next week. When you look at the end, uh, end of the book of like Matthew, it's all about, um, as far as the disciples go, it's all about Peter and Judas, both. Judas and Peter both tried scheming in their worldly ways to get um, what they were after. And Judas, in his despair, Didn't, uh, didn't find the grace. Peter, on the other hand, even in his sorrow, even in realizing he'd come to the end of himself and had failed where he thought he wouldn't, finds grace, restoration, blessing, and a new mission to be the one who shares this good news with the whole world. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's exactly what we see him doing uh, through much of the book of Acts. Today, as I mentioned, this is the time of year where it might be a good time, natural time, to sort of do some reflecting on our lives, where we've come from, where we've been, how sometimes we've been our own worst enemies when it comes to growing in faith and love and every grace.
but also how God has been there. His faithful hand, the ways that he has continued to uh, walk with us, to call us to him, to bless us more than we deserve, to call us his own children, and to give us an inheritance. And not just an inheritance, but a mission. As those who have received the blessing of God, to be those who bless others. That as we look forward into the future, um, we wouldn't be those who only receive the blessing, but who give it as grace to those who don't deserve it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.